0: Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1194. Thank you to Rochelle from Room with a View there. And our episode is entitled today, Stuffy the Vampire Trailer, because we've got some news from uh, San Diego Comic Con. And our podcast title today is The Tempod, because we'll be having a look at... The Illustrated Masterpieces version of The Tempest, which, of course, is Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill's new Swan Song comic book, basically. But we'll get into that as we go along. And, of course, we are celebrating the 49th anniversary of not Jan on the Moon, but Man on the Moon, the Apollo 11 mission. They're about to turn blue. It makes me wonder if they were Cree you never know. (laughs) If you've been watching um, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season 5, you'll know that the Cree feature quite heavily in the new season, which is um, quite something. And I'm not quite sure where they decided to go with a a second dystopia in this season after uh, season 4, which is very dystopic indeed. It was... Dark stuff in that one and this one too and really enjoying it. I don't know, well, if you, as much as you can enjoy a dystopia. Uh, maybe the operative word is it stops. When you stop being in a dystopia, it feels very good. So when you turn off the show, it's like, oh, I'm not in the dystopia anymore. Not in the framework virtual reality. Anyway, moving along to Illustrated Masterpieces. The Tempest. And the first thing I like about this comic book is that it is riffing off the old illustrated classics comics, you know, the versions of the great stories that they used to do. And this is really pretty much its own thing. And it's kind of appropriate too because, of course, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Kevin O'Neill and Alan Moore's wonderful pastiche, has always been very much able to draw from all sorts of classic Literature, Some sources so obscure that I have no idea what they're talking about, so I look them up in the notes. Others, well, you know, more obvious. Now, you know that The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, not the um, British comedy series and certainly not the uh, (laughs) the 2003 movie with Sean Connery, although that is, of course, inspired by the comic books. Well, it's been running for quite some time now, since 1999. There have been... Two six-issue limited series, Volume 1, Volume 2, and an original graphic novel, The Black Dossier, and uh, a third volume and spin-off trilogy, Nemo, which we've been talking about as well. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen have changed publishing houses along the way. They're now with Top Shelf and Knockabout Comics. Now, essentially, the, the, the basic concept of all this was kind of Justice League of Victorian England, but... ...because they've had so many different eras that they've run across... It's, ...it's expanded well beyond that. We were talking about pastiches last week... ...not pastisies, not pasties, but pastiches... Uh, ...which are an even stranger and more rarefied beastie. Actually, it's not all that complicated. It's crossover stories. Uh, but essentially, Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill have mined out the genre... ...pretty much, using all sorts of sources. Now... This particular one is picking up where the, uh, the Nemo series left off and it stars several characters to begin with. Um, Mina Murray, uh, the lady from The Dracula Story, Bram Stoker's novel. Um, Orlando. Orlando. And Emma Knight. Now, Emma Knight is kind of uh, Alan Moore code for Emma Peel from the British Avengers series from the 1960s. Uh, There are innumerable references in this and when the notes are finally published online you'll probably find there's like about a gazillion different easter eggs hidden in it so you know we're really in tarantino territory here but in a literary sense uh but also philip jose farmer and of course kim newman as well we were talking about his anno dracula series last week so on the cover, you've got uh, these three characters, Mina, Orlando and Emma Knight, all dressed up with um, in sort of Elizabethan garb, including a ray gun, because <laughs> this is the League and it is very anachronistic. And this is going to wrap up the adventures of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or gentlewomen, as the... Uh, Mood takes us at the start of this story. They will be pitted against some arch nemesises including uh, M, which is to say not the um, Fritz Lang movie character, but M as in the master of MI5. In this case, it's an immortal Moriarty, Sherlock Holmes character transposed into this now apart from uh, setting it up as classics illustrated they've also developed an idea that this has been produced by a particular um, bunch of guys who are creating it for an, a sort of a british comic book series as well. Uh, they play with the format a lot too so you'll be watching the traditional straight up and down panels and then suddenly you'll you'll transform into a kind of strip character type thing that they used to have in some of those earlier comic books and also newspapers as well for that matter and they'll, then they'll go to black and white so that's quite ...a nice little trick too. Uh, there are characters like uh, the various Bonds... ...and I mean all of James Bonds... ...including a Woody Allen one too. <laughs> is, this or, uh, is that actually Woody Allen or is that um, meant to be? Yes it is. <laughs> Good God. Uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost. You can just open it and either get the visual puns... ...or the, um, the actual written down ones. Uh, Stingray too. The World Aquatic uh, Sea Patrol... What is Wasp? I'm not quite sure about that. Doesn't matter. Uh, they've got that in there too, the old Jerry Anderson series. Uh, a lot of other references in there too, so much so that you could say that there is actually not an original thought in it. No, I'm kidding. It's great stuff. Really looking forward to seeing this. And really sad to see that they, they're um, closing it down now that um, Ellen Moore and Kevin O'Neill are moving on to other things uh, because I've so enjoyed these books over the years. They've been a, just a pleasure to read. The artwork is as meticulously rendered as ever and the the colorist uh, work in this is is wonderful too the, the the actual feeling of the whole thing gives you a warm and fuzzy when it's not being scary and dark so I really love this comic book it's um, that was uh, Ben the colourist actually um, I thought that um, the uh, the Nemo series was particularly toothsome that he did recently when we were talking about that one last time Uh this one feels like it's a little bit more lighthearted, and they might have a bit more fun. But I do notice that they are going back to Lincoln Island and they are going to encounter the latest incarnation of the science pirate, Captain Nemo. So I can't wait to see that when it next comes out. All right. Check this out if you are an Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill fan because you will not be disappointed. Is that... Oh, my God. I just opened it at random. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a journey by a, a submarine at one stage, and they're, they're going past um, an island uh, which has got a uh, a rusting hulk of what looks like and is indeed a yellow submarine stuck on the shore. <laughs> ah, great stuff. Anyway, it's the illustrated masterpieces, the tempest. Now. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero-G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. ha 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 ha, ha with three exclamation marks just walking through the uh the studio i ran into two people who immediately we started talking about buffy reboots (laughs) so you can tell there's a generational thing at work here now talk about the buffy season 12 comics it's buffy the vampire slayer of course not buffy saint marie uh, this is the season 12 continuation of the old television series in comic book form dark horse has the license for that of course they also do the um, the angel comics as well another continuation of that series uh, it's all coming together in a new season as they call it a new uh, volume of the buffy stories Joss Whedon and Christos Gage are actually writing this with a script by Christos Gage. Pencils by Georges Genty. Once again, he's uh, been doing the work for a while and returned. Uh, inks by Carl Story and Colours by Dan Jackson. Letterings letterings by Richard Starkings and comic crafts Jimmy Betancourt, whose name we've heard before in conjunction with many other works. Now, this book Particular Buffy story riffs off Joss Whedon's other comic book Buffy story, the, uh, the Frey miniseries where they went to the 23rd century and explored the adventures of the then current Slayer, the Chosen One, uh, called Malacca Frey, I think, um, something like that. Anyway, um, now this one uses that crossover tra- time travel story as Frey's evil brother goes back, his name is Hark, he goes back into contemporary times to cause trouble for Buffy then. Uh, This puts them in conflict with the Slayer and her massively extended family now. Her uh, sister Dawn has had a baby with Xander Harris. The baby is called Joyce after Buffy's mother all the feels, all the tears there. <laughs> Spike, the vampire with a soul, is still around, as is Angel and Giles. Giles is no longer a young Harry Potterish fellow, having uh, grown up by a magical means. This happened in previous comics. Willow is there once again. Uh, this is all post all of the other events that have taken place. Angel and Illyria appear as well. And it's all set to be one giant fight fest, both in the 23rd century and in the now. Uh, So I actually enjoyed this one a lot. Oh, Faith is there too. shouldn't just be an also-ran. Interestingly enough, Faith can um, understand the street jargon of the 23rd century. Not surprised at all by that. And there is a special guest appearance by a vampire who manages to go from the, uh, the the 21st century to the 23rd century unstaked, the hard way. And I won't spoil it by telling you which particular vampire this one is. Uh, probably the one that would irritate you most. <laughs> All right, now there are two issues out of this already in the uh, what they're calling the reckoning season. And I just think this is just wonderful to be able to keep reading episodes of buffy um i always find um the artwork in this particular ones a bit odd the the characters are very much comic book style and they tend to be a little bit shorter than everything else but th- than the usual uh, the drawings of characters but that's all right i mean they are comic books so there's something to be said for that maybe they're trying to have them cleave towards uh, funko pop finals maybe that's the idea everything will end up looking like those super distorted japanese comic books oh and it's nice to see the mayor of sunnydale in his uh, giant snake headed form as well as the boys and girls from Wolfram and Hart, the evil lawyer law firm. So check that out from Dark Horse. They're now into Buffy the Vampire Season 12. And one of the reasons I mentioned that, of course, is that uh, Fox Television has announced a Buffy reboot. Now, there's not too much detail known about this yet. Do they really mean reboot or do they mean sequel or reimagining? Uh, what does this mean in terms of the Dark Horse comic books? Will they be considered not canon or what? What's going on there? Um, this is uh, a little bit different to the idea that they had that they were going to use, uh, redo the um, the original Buffy movie whose rights were held by another bunch of people. You know, that um, rather dire one. <laughs> well... In this case, uh, they do actually have Joss Whedon involved as an executive producer, but the showrunner is Monica... Owusu Breen. Now, we've heard of her before in relationship to Charmed, alias Brothers and Sisters, Lost and Fringe. And she's often worked uh, on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. Uh, mostly first season episodes and a couple of, uh, at least one second season one. So obviously she's had work with the Whedons at least before. So there's a, a kind of a, a synergy there. She also um, adapted uh, Charlene Harris's. Book Midnight, Texas, which became the uh, supernatural drama series of the same name on NBC. So there are some feelings there that maybe that could work. Uh, you know, this, it's a more substantial um, idea than has sort of come before when we are talking about having re- ...imaginings, reboots or sequels to Buffy. This one sounds a little bit more um, on point. I uh, don't know how this is going to play opposite um, Joss's new uh, HBO series... ...about um, Victorian lady superheroes, um, The Nevers. Uh, but well, we'll see how it goes. Okay. That's all we can really do. <laughs> I think what is underlying is this idea of that people curiosity. really curious curious ...for the you or have curious, a curiosity for the knowledge. Curious. They're really interested, How to pronounce in growth. curious to seek out novelty and examine it and test it and find out what it is. Spark you your it, curiosity. Said, 2018 Radiothon starts Friday, August 17. This is Danny Strong. I play Jonathan, creator of the internet international man of mystery and star of the matrix trilogy and jono the vampire Slayer. you're listening to three triple r fm radio it's one of my better inventions who knows what the future will hold well the doctor does we were talking about the um the trailer that had dropped last week for the new doctor who jody whittaker playing the 13th doctor Very excited about that. I think she's going to be great, including that strange sonic screwdriver that she's got, uh, which looks like it's made of um, wood, which would be interesting because wood sonic screwdrivers... um, flies in the face of the idea of sonic screwdrivers being able to um, influence the material wood. (sighs) Who knows where that one's going? Of course she does. Now, Comic-Con trailers seen a few of those. Impressed with some of them, not so much with others. Start with um, DC, the company that is not Marvel and their Aquaman movie. I was actually quite blown away by that, not just because there was lots of howling winds and storms and stuff. Um, okay, Jason Momoa doesn't look like the traditional Aquaman. Don't care. Uh, he actually looks like he can bring the rain and the pain and all the other things that Aquaman's supposed to do, and he sort of pumps it all up for the 21st century there are lots of sea beasties in the story too you know that whole talking to fish thing um a lot of them in look like are extinct or fanciful and that's fine i mean seahorses big enough to ride on bring that on <laughs> moasaurs um what else did they have in there uh, look like uh, maybe a megalodon as well oh this is going to be so much fun and it's actually directed by James Wan, the uh, Australian film director, screenwriter and producer who was behind the horror film Saw in 2004. Um, it's also uh, worked on Dead Silence and Death Sentence, Insidious, The Conjuring and now this upcoming Aquaman movie. Uh, although, you know, admittedly he worked on Furious 7 so, you know, <laughs> he's certainly got the, uh, the chops to be able to do it. Uh, it's... Um, it's a story that I think will play reasonably well. It's even got Amber Heard in it, William Defoe. and Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> How cool is that? Along with um, Nicole Kidman, all appearing in assorted places. Now, we've seen um, Jason's uh, interpretation of Aquaman before, uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. He's got a little bit of a uh, cameo there. And Justice League, of course, um, nobody really fared too well out of either of those movies, uh, except for Wonder Woman, I, I thought, basically you know, she can do no wrong uh, and um, so this is going to be the first feature film starring the character of Aquaman, Arthur Curry, who's the heir to Atlantis this is actually kind of interesting um, they've stolen a swim on Marvel here, if Marvel ever intends to do uh, Namor the Prince of Atlantis, in their own particular um, universe, their own aquatic superhero, going uh, to be kind of pipped at the uh, the mooring post here by this one. So, well, good luck to them. I reckon they could uh, make a go of this. It seems to be fairly light hearted. I'm not entirely sure. I feel how I feel about uh, about uh, Dude Bro. Aquaman, but, you know, it's the 21st century. I guess they have to hammer it up a little bit. Uh, but certainly the special effects look first rate and magnificently splendid, as awesome as the Seven Seas could possibly be. <laughs> so looking forward to that one, actually. Uh, maybe it'll be another Wonder Woman, but um, damper, basically. Uh, also in the, uh, the DC vein, uh, Shazam! And again, that looked like a lot of fun. Uh, this is uh, the one where uh, young Billy Batson transforms into a superhero but retains his adolescent personality. So, yeah, they've got two different actors playing it. Um, Asher, Angel playing Billy and Zachary, uh, Zachary Levi playing the, uh, the adult um, Shazam whose um, name is an acronym of the various superheroes and uh, mythological gods that uh, he is channeling when he transforms. It sounds like it's going to be one of those sort of hip movies that... Uh, well, I don't think it's going to challenge the superhero mythos much, but it looks like it'll be as much fun as um, maybe Deadpool. No, not not as R-rated, of course, but still. <laughs> it'll, it should have its own thing going on. Captain Marvel, actually, Shazam character. There's lots of... <laughs> various lawsuits and litigation and backwards and forwards of that between Marvel and uh, and DC over the years. Actually born back in 1940, in the 1940s, so very old superhero here uh, finally coming to the screen. Has been on the screen before in uh, cartoons and in uh, in, uh, a serial back in 1941 too. Uh, and, of course, there was a, um, a television series of not too much note, but some people fondly remember it. Okay, and that's uh, being directed by Daniel F. Sandberg who worked on The Conjuring. Everybody worked on The Conjuring apparently. Um, Lights Out and um, Annabelle Creation. So a few ones in from the left field there and i can remember Zachary levi of course from um, the television show chuck he played the title character and remember him as um the second actor to play fandral in um, the thor movies Uh, bought the farm unfortunately in thor ragnarok but there you go that's what happens maybe he'll fare better when he's got a big lightning bolt on his chest instead of just fighting alongside someone who carries lightning bolts in his hammer hi i'm george takei and i play admiral sulu in star trek welcome aboard the starship zero g admiral hey a guy can dream can't he (laughs) admiral of the seven star Seas, and one of the other trailers that appeared although maybe not necessarily just at comic con because i think i saw it before there uh, star trek discovery season two Uh, which we're not going to get for a while yet, but still they showed us the trailer, uh, where Captain Pike of the USS Enterprise takes command of the Discovery as well. Uh, They're investigating some red energy outbursts and this uh, Michael Berman of the Discovery has worked out this relates to her legendary half-brother, Mr Spock. Everyone who survived season one seems to be back in this. Um, They've also got Tig... Uh, notaro the comedian playing the engineer of another ship i think the uh, uss hiawatha from memory um this looks exciting they've emphasized the discover in discovery so boldly going where no man has gone before etc etc hopefully Um, because that's always been a a grand part of star trek although i actually being the geek that i am once went through the original series um for the plots of uh, the seventy odd episodes, and worked out exactly how many times they revisited planets that other Federation ships had been to, or that were actually like um, you know lost space probes coming back to the Federation or that kind of thing. Quite a bit, actually. Uh, can't remember the percentage now. Too many years, too many star dates have flown beneath the bridge to get into that. But anyway, they're also doing some um, Star Trek short treks as well, which will be uh, a kind of um, spin-off mini-series of of small episodes that will give us some uh, clues about what's coming in future and also having a look at the backstory of some of the other characters. I noticed there was a Saurian in the ship as well, a dinosaur-type character at least. Um, at least bipedal. Didn't see any big long tail or little paws hanging out the front, but nevertheless that's the kind of thing they're going for. Um, Shades of Jurassic, whatever the hell the next movie's going to be, where they inevitably are going to like, mixed dinosaur DNA with humans or something. You know that's going to come. They're going to have to do that eventually. Anyway, the uh, Saurian in Star Trek The Motion Picture too. One of the, uh, the aliens on the ship. But there's been megatons of them scuttling around in the fan fiction and so on in the uh, tie-in books too. I also saw a, uh, a Clone War trailer too. Uh, now this is a... Uh, an addition to the original Clone War, well, not the original Clone War television series, the animated one, uh, the second one of those, not the not the um, incredibly violent uh, oil-soaked Jendy Tartakovsky Clone Wars one. This is uh, the uh, the other one with um, Anakin Skywalker and. Um, Oh, I can't remember the lady's name with the uh, the coloured tentacles that hang down from her head. Give me a break here, you know. <laughs> Star Wars has no has not been my thing since the nineteen oh my god, since the nineteen eighties, basically. Ah, right, so um That also looked quite good. And, in fact, it actually looked better than the main Star Wars movies, I'm afraid, for me at least. Oh, by the way, going back to Star Trek, Anson Mount looks pretty good as Christopher Pike. He uh, seems to have nailed that particular stance that Captain Pike briefly had in the original Star Trek. And also Rebecca Romagen is playing number one, the Michelle... uh, uh, ..the... um, Major Barrett character in uh, the original Star Trek, so that's interesting too. I think they're kind of avoiding um, bringing Spock at the moment uh, because he's been quite uh, well used in the uh, in the three JJ Abrams etc. reboot movies. Uh, What else did I see? Glass. Now that's um, that was a trailer for the new um, uh, superhero horror film by M Night. Uh, Shyamalan Now this is part of what they loosely call The East Trail 177 trilogy And that's East Trail 177 Was the, uh, the train that gets derailed In the film Unbreakable You know the Bruce Willis one With, with um, Samuel L Jackson As well And uh, also tied into the film Split with James McAvoy So both of those films are apparently connected by all of that so they're doing this all now in a film named after the Samuel L. Jackson character called Glass. Uh, They're all going to be tied together in one superhero convenient package. Talk about the zeitgeist of the super times Uh, and it is, of course... Um, one where the peeps will suffer from superhero de- delusions. They're all going to be locked up in a faculty for study. But, uh, oh, well, that sort of story you know that's not going to be just uh, them locked up together. Everybody else is going to have a hell of a time too. All right. Uh, we also had um, uh, Godzilla, the king of monsters, Uh, ...and this was uh, Legendary Pictures' next entry. It's not a sequel to the most recent Shin Godzilla... Godzilla, ...but a sequel to the 2014 Hollywood one. Um, This is part of their uh, uh, their monster Godzilla franchise. Um, We had Godzilla in 2014, Kong Skull Island in 2017 and this one's coming out next year, Godzilla, The King of Monsters, and that will be followed by Godzilla vs. Kong. And it's not to be confused with the 1956 film, Godzilla, King of Monsters. Completely different film. Similar in in, uh, theme, though. So this is directed by Michael Doherty, and we know him before for working on scripts of um, Brian Singer's X2 and Superman Returns. Uh, worked on, uh, directed, and this is the important credit for me because I loved this film, directed, co-wrote and co-produced the horror comedy Krampus in 2015. We reviewed that on Zero G a while back. So he's going to be co-writing and directing Godzilla, The King of Monsters. Now, we also know this one because uh, the actress Millie Bobby Brown, who plays number 11, ...in the Netflix series The Stranger Things... ...she's also appearing in this movie too. Not playing Godzilla though. <laughs> so this actually looked great in the uh, in the trailer. Um, they're really pushing the envir- environmental themes... ...Godzilla as a force of nature. And it looks to have about five kju in it... ...apart from the big G, Gojira himself. Uh, Mofra, Rodan, um, um, Godira and maybe one other... Possibly Gamera, I'm not sure. It was kind of teased in there. So that looks great, and I'm really looking forward to that one. Uh, There were other trailers as well, but those were the ones that really kicked it for me. Uh, Might look at some more at another time. This is Raymond DeFice, the man who started the Rift War. Mm, Will it help if I say I'm sorry? Zero G. it's totally lacking in gravity. There's another Godzilla movie that's popped up on Netflix. We talked about uh, Godzilla Number 1, which was part of a trilogy of animated movies that Netflix had netted, and it's got a sequel that I just saw last night, uh, Godzilla, City on the Edge of Battle. And this is uh, produced by Toho Animation, animated by Polygon Pictures, working with Netflix. It's um, co-directed by Koban shizuno and hiroyuki Seshihita. and this one has uh, been out since may in japan and came out to netflix on july 18th so really fresh and i hadn't um, noticed that until i just spotted it last night and watched it too it's not all that long but oh, it is a sequel to the first animated movie that they did it's set 20,000 years in the far future earth has been taken over by godzilla which has led to some interesting environmental consequences mutations and adaptations godzilla versus gaia actually the whole world's in trouble still some indigenous humans uh, remain on earth living underground and there's some remnant godzilla defense force technology no less than Godzilla, which has itself adapted though it's still attempting to fight Godzilla in its own unique way. And this is the subject of way too much discussion in the movie amongst the mixed landing force of expatriate Earth humans and Bilasaludo alien colonists who've returned to Earth and are attempting to defeat Godzilla, who is bigger and more unstoppable than ever. It takes a long time before they get into action again, having come a very serious cropper in the first movie battling the behemoth. The survivors of the first landing party put a brave face on things. They salute the enduring spirit of the stalwart Mechagodzilla. Yes, they literally salute it. And prepare to reattempt the rather clever, complex, cunning attack plan that they tried in the first movie. As I said, they spend far too much time wrangling over all of this... ...so the actual spectacular stash, and it is a goodie... ...during the film's final reel is a bit too much, but too late as well. There is, uh, by the way, an after-the-end credits scene, everyone has them now. Probably stands more as a film on the relationship between the characters... ...the tensions between the aliens and their human partners in space... And also the, uh, the flirtatious relationship between Captain Haru Sakai. And he also has to come to terms with uh, going from rebellious junior officer to commander of the survivors. How will he fare with his technically subordinate officer Yuko Tani? Are they going to live happily ever after? Well, this is a Godzilla movie. I wouldn't count on it. And also there's a pair of identical twins interpreting the indigenous language for the advanced humans, uh, which is kind of a tradition for K-Drew movies when you think about it. I don't think that... Uh, uh, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle is the best entry in the series so far. I think the first one was pretty impressive. This one, well, too talky really. And that's my failing too sometimes. Uh, we'll see how they go with the, uh, the next movie. But certainly been impressed with the special effects in this. The, um, the CGI looks quite uh, um, remarkable and the battles, especially the, um, the motion of the mecha Machines that they're using that they're flying around with as a uh, kind of fighters. Um, quite a, quite visceral, grabs you as you're watching it. Anyway, uh, we will await the next one with baited radioactive breath, no doubt. And uh, that's about it for Zero G today. In fact, that is indeed it. And Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. Next week, of course, we will be talking more about the. Melbourne International Film Festival. That's it for Zero G. Thanks a lot for listening. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.